Today we're starting uh, uh, with Abraham, very familiar, um, the, the beginning of the, of, the, of the Jewish people and uh, the man who, who began the work of salvation, if you like, amongst God's people. Uh, but Abraham, what I'm focusing on today is Abraham set out on a journey. He left uh, where he was, uh, Canaan, he left Ur, and he headed out for Canaan, although, of course, he didn't know where he was going at the time. He just set out, and God led him on that journey. And he went uh, via Haran, and it says he arrived in Canaan. I mean, that's pretty good. He set out, and he arrived. So he doesn't tell us very much about that journey. But he set out on, on a journey. He followed God's word, and he obeyed it. And I, what I would like to suggest is actually... Abraham was on two kinds of journey. He was on a physical journey from one country and town to another country and town. So he was actually on a physical journey. It was going to take him quite some time. But he was actually on a spiritual journey. He was following God and he was learning and he was becoming the, the key figure, if you like, in, in, in the whole of the, test, the history of salvation until Jesus comes along. It was Abraham who had faith and left upon which our faith is actually built. Now, in order to help us here, um, I'm, we're going to look at a picture. Um, now, hopefully Steve will be able to put up uh, a painting. Now, you may... It's fairly dark painting, apart from the white snow. Um, oh, there's, there's a projection special now, isn't it? We have now got another big telly, by the way. You got that? Okay. Um, it's, it's a painting by Caspar David Friedrich who uh, is a German painter, painted in about 1811. And it, it's got the very imaginative title, Winter Landscape with Church. <laughs> Winter Landscape with Church. Um, and um, if you, if you, you may not be able to see all the detail in this, but don't worry, I'll, I'll reveal a little bit more later on. Um, well, let me ask you a few questions. What do you see? What are the main features of this painting? What do you see first? Trees. The first thing you see are trees. Okay, yeah, what else do you see? Rocks and snow, crutches, and what do you see in the distance? A church. Okay, yeah, so there are a number of, it's a very simple painting, really. There's a number of, ah, there is a cross in the tree, and actually, if you look very closely, leaning against the rock, you'll see later on there's a little man. Uh, but uh, we, we will come to that in a minute. But in a sense, uh, it parallels Abraham's journey. He's a man on a journey. Uh, this particular man has abandoned his crutches. We don't know quite why, whether he uh, suddenly saw something and dropped them and ran, or whether he was healed on the journey uh, and didn't need them anymore. We don't know. Um, but he's sitting under a rock and... Uh, Basically, he, he is, oh, no, um, not yet. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, you can show us that one, Steve. That's okay, yeah. There he is. There's the little man, a little bit of a close-up. Um, and um, he's sitting, uh, uh, they're, they're spruce trees, by the way. And uh, Abraham sat down under an oak tree at Moray in the town of Shechem. Uh, so these trees are actually very significant in the Bible story, and we'll see they appear a little bit later on. And, and all of you said the dominant thing in this painting is the trees. That's what hits you first of all, although there is a lot more to have a look at. 
So Abraham in chapter 12, he, he meets, he sits down under the tree at Shechem, at Moray, and he meets God. And then in chapter 13, he comes to a place called Hebron, and he meets God again under the great trees of Mamre, and he sets up an altar there because he has, uh, he has engaged, he's met with God, and the thing that you did was you set up an altar to remind yourself of that place where you had met with God. And then again in uh, chapter 18, beginning of chapter 18, he meets again with God under the great trees of Mamre at Hebron when the three visitors come, the threefold trinitarial visit, if you like. So his theophanies, that means to meet with God, occur very often under trees. And these are kind of considered as kind of sacred trees. Now, hang on, hang on. Um, you will be saying, oh, Laurie's going off the rails here, because you know a lot of the pagan cults uh, use trees. And, uh, you know, and, and of course we're in a, a kind of a the new age thing where you hug a tree, is what you do, and you, you know, swampy and people like that, you know, we, we hug trees and the, the kind of new agey thing about trees. Well, let, let's just put that in context. These are part of God's creation. Trees are part of things that God has created, but they, are, they appear at, at very significant points in the journey, uh, and I've mentioned three places there where uh, Abraham has met them. But you might notice, of course, that uh, Abraham's not the only person to meet God near a tree. If we go to the next book of the Bible, the, the Exodus, where does Moses meet God? A burning bush in the middle of the desert. Uh, Moses meets God uh, at a kind of a, a small tree. But whatever, there are, there are plenty, plenty more. And um, the thing is, in that reading, the promises that God made to Abraham were, you will have offspring. You will have generations that are coming from you. And what Abraham could not have understood at that time was that God was not simply talking about physical offspring, about his sons and grandsons and etc. But he would be thinking about the spiritual uh, offspring. That is you and me, who are not physically descended from Abraham, but if we are people of faith, we are Abraham's offspring. Uh, and that remains a wonderful promise of the spiritual blessings that would be given to him. But also, Abraham, Abraham was promised land. Physical land. And so there's a physical and there's a spiritual part of the blessing and the promises that is made to Abraham on his journey. And uh, eventually, of course, Abraham does reach uh, Canaan, but then there's a whole lot more stories uh, there. So let's just go back to the painting for a minute. Um, notice that the, the, the church in this picture is, is very much in the background. It's kind of a misty scene. Um, I know uh, photographers use the expression recession of greys. You know, you see that where you get the different greys and the changes depending on how far things are away. Lovely, lovely, especially across, uh, looking across to sort of um, Krukern on, on the, on, in the mornings when it's a bit misty. Fabulous views of the... And you can see that's happening here. Um, but notice that the, that the church and the tree are the same height. So the artist has quite clearly wants us to parallel that, that, that the, the big tree and the church uh, are kind of 
somehow there's something akin to them. They're the same height. But notice that the, the tree that's in the middle of the picture is smaller. So he's focusing, actually, on the tree in, in, in the middle, but there are two big, uh, the same height. Um, so I think what the artist is saying is that the man is on a journey. The man is heading for the church. I think the man's journey, he, he intended to get to the church. But actually, he didn't get that far. He has found what he's looking for under the tree. Now, in a sense, Abraham did the same. Abraham was heading for the, for the promised land, but he encounters God under a tree. He didn't get as far as the promised land at this point. He's had an encounter with God. He's met up. He's had the covenant promise made to him, and, uh, and that's what keeps him going on the journey. And there we can see the little man looking. He's got his hands up, hasn't he, I think? He's looking up at the tree, uh, and... Um, We'll come back to a little bit closer a little bit later. Now, I think there's often been too much emphasis on church buildings. I mean, you just go to any community and in our land and you will see a church building. Uh, and sadly, in many small villages, uh, you know, those buildings have closed. Whether they are Anglican churches, whether they are Baptist or Methodist, uh, there's plenty around here that have now been converted to houses, lots and lots of buildings, and you, you'll, be, you'll be aware of that. And in the Old Testament, the similar problem had occurred. You see, when the people of Israel were in the desert, they, had, they didn't have a building, they had a porter tent. They had, they had this tent that they carried around called the, uh, the tabernacle, or the porter temple. So whenever they moved, whenever God moved, they moved with God. So they kept on the move. They were always where God was. And uh, then they came into the land and they got a king, even though they, didn't, they were told they didn't need a king, but they said, we want a king. And, uh, and then he wanted to build a temple to house God. Uh, and uh, God said to him, actually, uh, no, you're not going to build my temple, David, but your son Solomon will. So Solomon builds this fantastic temple and everything is focused upon the temple. And Jeremiah, the prophet, he says, you, you've lost your way, you people. It's the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Everything had been focused upon this building. This is where God is. We've got him. He's here. Nice, in this little space. Hmm? Um, but when we come to that uh, second reading that Anne gave us, it was a reading of Stephen. Now, I, I just um, make a little side here. When Stephen produced this sermon, he was stoned to death. Um, but but he he was preaching to the people of Israel who who had uh, um, who had lost the plot. The Pharisees had made it all about the temple and all about the rituals and everything. They'd lost the plot and they'd forgotten that it's not about Abraham's physical descendants, but people who were descended from the faith of Abraham. And so Stephen begins this wonderful. Uh, very, very learned uh, talk all about the history and your fathers and how they built the temple and how they did this. Uh, and then he quotes in the middle of his sermon um, from Isaiah chapter 66. So th these are words that are written, you know, five, seven hundred years before Jesus. And he says, however, 
the Most High God does not live in houses made by men. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool, Isaiah 66. You see, if we try to build houses and make God fit them, we've lost the plot. If we build the house in order to honour God, and, uh, you know, that's what the intention was. Yeah, the temple was meant to, to draw people to God. And uh, if you remember, in the Old Testament, it says all nations will come to this temple. It wasn't meant to be like a little exclusive holy huddle who had a, a special place where God was kept and, and they held him there. Actually, all nations will come. And so Stephen, uh, uh, God says in fact in, in Isaiah, what kind of house would you build for me? Has not my hand made all these things? And so just going back to the painting, man may have been heading to God, trying to reach God, thinking that he'd find God in the church, but in actual fact, he's met him before. You see, we said, uh, I think Pete said, I said, where would you meet God? Pete said, everywhere. Spot on, everywhere. But that everywhere will be different for each one of us. I mean, some of us here are artists. And maybe as you're painting or creating works of art, you, you are engaging with God in that. Some of you are writers. Um, some of you, uh, you know, do other kinds of work. Uh, that whatever we're doing, we find God in it. Meeting God in his creation. Now, here is, um, here is a, a technical word for this. Sacramental theology. Do you know what a sacrament is? Well, Baptists in the past didn't like to use the word sacrament because it was a word, again, that had been loaded uh, under some interpretations. But when we, we only have two sacraments, or we, we could call them ordinances, our sacraments are the Lord's table and baptism. And in both of those things, they are a spiritual activity that is taking place with physical things. So when we baptise someone, we are putting them under physical water and they go down and they come back up as a sign of the spiritual renewal that's happened inside. When we meet around this table, we break bread, as we will do in a couple of weeks' time, which is physical bread. We can eat it and be satisfied, and yet it represents the body of Jesus, a, a spiritual. We drink the wine, which is ordinary um, juice of the grape, uh, and yet it represents the blood of Christ. You see? Sacramental theology. We see God in all things. God is not contained in holy ecclesiastical things. He is everywhere. And perhaps one of the words which helps us to understand that is in this reading from Isaiah, where it says that heaven is my throne. Okay, we've got that bit. The earth is my footstool. The earth is my footstool. Have you, have you got a footstool at home? Nice, yeah. We've actually got one of those lovely chairs that rocks back. We thought it might be useful for our dotage. Um, and, you know, it's quite nice to just have something to rest your foot on, isn't it? And God says, the earth is where I rest my foot. So, you know, in a sense, although God, you know, in the old, we've looked at that, in the highest heaven, God's in the highest heaven, and we're on the earth, he rests his foot. There is a touching place. A place where God touches. Now that word, um, footstool, actually is the same word that is used for the mercy seat in 1 Chronicles 28. The, the top of the Ark of the Covenant, the holy place where God was uh, worshipped, 
uh, the ark that contained the Ten Commandments, um, that mercy seat, the word is footstool. It's the same word. So the footstool is the Ark of the Covenant, if you like, an ecclesiastical thing, but the earth is also his footstool. That We've just been singing, exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. The place where heaven and earth touch. A touching place. You may have heard the expression thin places. Have you heard about thin place? Some people talk about them as places where they go, where they feel really close to God. For that, you, for that, it might be a particular room in your house. It might be a particular walk or river that you walk by, or you know, um, it could be a particular place like Iona. You see, there's a wonderful Christian community on Iona and also Lindisfarne, uh, places where people historically have felt very close to God, and there's a, there's a kind of a sense of a feeling of a presence of God in the thin places are places where people encounter God and in the Bible there are a number of examples which involve trees so for example Abraham under the tree at uh, at, uh, Moray the sacred oak that was the first place that God encountered Abraham in the reading that we had turn if you would to uh, Joshua chapter 24 you can find Joshua chapter 24. This is the last chapter in Joshua. And, and you'll know that Joshua was the man that took over from Moses. So Moses got them through the wilderness, but he didn't quite get into the promised land. It was Joshua who took on the mantle from Moses to take the people into the promised land. And here at, uh, in chapter 24, he is on the verge of taking them in. And he gathers all the people and he gives them uh, like an encouraging address. And if you look um, uh, in verse 25, of, it says, On that day Joshua made a covenant for the people, and there at Shechem, the thin place, he drew up for them decrees and laws. And Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of, the God, uh, law of God. Then he took a large stone and set it there under the oak, near the holy place of the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? So this is some hundreds of years after Abraham first met God under that tree. Here is Joshua uh, about to take the people into the promised land and he, he meets God in the same place. And what does he do? Well, if you haven't got time to look at this passage, but first of all, at the beginning he says, he, he, he gives them the Genesis story. If you look at the first chapter, verses 2 to 4, he says... Remember what God did for you in the story of Genesis. Then he moves on to the Exodus story. Then I sent Moses and Aaron. And he goes over and he says, this is what God did with you on your journey. How he's brought you to this place. Remember how you you didn't just appear here. You've been on a journey. And here you are. And then uh, he says um, uh, at the bottom there, now then, he says. um, Now then. I I, um, first heard someone preach on this uh, guy called Doak. Glenn Marshall, who's a Yorkshireman, he says, now then! Um, but it, now, the Joshua story, we're about to go into the land, God is still with us, and a new chapter of our story is about to begin. I think this is really exciting, how God meets with people, and how the, the story is important. Each one of us has got a story, and it's wonderful to hear Wynne's story from this week, 
about how God has met with you through another Christian and, uh, you know, the way God had met you in that place. This week, I say, we've 300 people signed this book. They came into here um, because they were attracted by a number of things. We had people who come because they're members of camera clubs and they'd heard about it and they... Uh, and they came. We've got people who are interested in environmental things who came. People from the village who just like to support local things. People who are bird watchers or animal watchers or, or what have you. A whole range of different people who came into this place because of what, what they were interested in. But, but also in there we, we, we have some literature and I know a number of people taking out photographs and literature, walking out with the good newspaper or one of the little look booklets that were out. Many, many conversations had uh, in, in this place. You know, um, if, we'd, if we'd said come to a service here, I don't think many of these people would have come because they haven't got there yet. They've got as far as the tree, perhaps. And then let's have a look at the next picture, Steve, the last bit. We're, we're getting there. Um, Back to the painting. What you, what you can't see, perhaps, in, but now is a slightly enlarged bit. In the tree, there is a crucifix. And the man is staring up at Jesus on the cross. And um, I, I think I would have loved to have had a conversation with Caspar David Friedrich. Uh, but this, is, this man has found Jesus on his journey. And he hasn't got as far as the church yet. That's the next stage of his journey, perhaps. Um, but notice what the cross is made of. Tree. In fact, Peter, the Apostle Peter, when he writes about the cross, he always calls it the tree. Um, Jesus died on the tree. Because uh, it's a touching place, isn't it? The cross is rammed into the ground, but the top is pointed at heaven. And on it hangs the outstretched arms of the Saviour. That's where we meet Jesus. But we've also been singing, Jesus is Lord, creation's voice proclaims it. And in Colossians, we'll have a look at in a few weeks' time, he who all things were made for him, or by him and for him. You see, we can meet God anywhere. Absolutely, we could have summed up this sermon in Pete's statement, we can meet him anywhere. We'd have gone home by now. But we can meet, but it's actually through Jesus. Because when we meet Jesus, we've met the living God. He is God become man. And so I think we need to pray. And I think that we need to pray, first of all, for ourselves, that wherever we are on our journey of faith, that we will meet God today or this week at our point of need. But also, let's pray uh, for all the people, maybe 500 nearly people that came through here and had conversations and saw things and came and went we may never see some of them again. But let's just pray. So let's, we'll have an open time of prayer. Oh, before we do that, actually, I forgot. I, I always like to get things from people, and I got a, a letter. I got a letter from Eileen, which is really nice. And um, uh, Eileen said, you might be interested in this. And this, I, I might refer back to this again over Easter. The passion flower. How many people have got passion flowers in their gardens? Ooh, lovely. Don't eat too much. Right. Um, 
It says here there's a legend that the early Spanish missionaries in South America looked around for the presence of Christ in the strange and exotic landscape. They found it inside a curious flower which grew on one of the climbing vines which clambered up the trees. There clearly laid out were the signs of Christ's passion. Uh, Just uh, very briefly, the, the five fingers of Christ... It says here, the crown of thorns is like the the stamens around the outside, or the whatever they're called. Um, There's a threefold bit in the the nail, the three nails of the cross. Uh, The curly bit, the lash of the persecutors, you you know, and the ten apostles of the the, the other petals. So, how interesting that in in one flower, they were able to use that as 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 a visual aid to talk about the passion story. So thank you, Eileen, for sending that. Maybe we can meditate on that another time.